We are so glad that you joined us today. We know that God wants to do something great in you and through you, and we want to hear about it. So if you can take a moment and share with us your story in the City Chapel app in the Amen Corner. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoy today's message. The kickoff uh, day for this sermon series, we're talking about four cups. And um, uh, this is uh, this idea of four cups that actually permeates throughout our church. Uh, just about everything we do is connected with these four cups or four promises of God. They're they're called four cups because it's based on the Jewish Passover meal that we talked all about yes uh, last week. And if you want to listen to that, it's available on the podcast on uh, citychapelchurch.com. Um, check it out. But uh, but but I I do want to tell you that these four promises they are uh, found in Exodus chapter six. These are ancient promises, but they apply um, to today. They apply to us today. I believe that God's promises uh, are just like himself. He is always revealing his heart for his people, for us. And so we look at these four promises found in Exodus chapter 6, and from them we see four desires of God for us, four promises for each and every one of us. And they're celebrated by four cups of wine in the Jewish Passover Seder. So uh, this past week, uh, Jews around the world celebrated Passover. They had a meal where they have four cups of wine. They read Exodus chapter 6, verses 6, 7, and 8. And each, after each promise, after each uh, cup, they raised the cup and they drank from it. And so I want to I give you a quick overview of those promises today in Exodus chapter 6. Um, and then we're going to to move on, uh, and we're going to talk about the first cup, the first promise. And this is God talking to Moses. Now, the people of Israel have been enslaved in Egypt for about 430 years. Uh, they didn't intend on being slaves. They moved to Egypt under a friendly pharaoh, and then a not-so-friendly pharaoh uh, came to power. And God has been watching, observing them for 450 years. He's been waiting. And finally, he comes to Moses, he appears to Moses, and he tells Moses, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites. God doesn't just hear prayer requests and eloquent prayers, he hears groaning. So sometimes all you can do is groan, he hears that. I'm thankful that he hears that kind of prayer. I've heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant with them. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. We're going to talk about that today. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. That's the first cup. So Jews around the world, read that. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And they take a drink of that first cup. And then he says, I will free you from being slaves to them. This is the second promise, the second cup. It sounds very similar to the first one. The first one has to do with geography. The second one has to do with being. I will free you from being slaves. So we're going to talk about that one next week. And uh, you'll have to come back to hear about God's promise with respect to who you are. Not just what you do, but changing who you are. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And then the final, that's, that, that's, that, that's the third promise, is I will redeem you. The final promise is I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. We believe that that's the final goal of God, to take us as a group of people, that we would come together with others and uh, make a difference in this world, that we would come together, we would be taken by him, that we, our lives would be used up for him 
together. And so I'm thankful for every single volunteer who came in today and put up pipe and drape and, and set up the sound system. They are, they've, they've been taken by God, <laughs> and together we're making a difference. Even on Easter Sunday, some folks came and showed up in their dresses and their, their nice clothes, and they're, they're bringing stuff in off of a trailer because, you know, the school doesn't normally look like this, just in case you're wondering. It's not normally how they roll. And so this is, this, is, this is all the effort and the work of folks who are out there in the hospitality table, people watching your kids right now, preparing lessons for them. They've been taken by God. They've been captured by something bigger than themselves. And they are a part of something um, that I believe it's God's plan for all of us to be a part of. I think, I, I think that's a perfect picture um, of what God wants for all of us. And so, uh, but I do want to go back to that first promise where God says, Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out. This is the first promise of God. This is available not just to the Israelites. In fact, even, even, even today, the Hebrews are talking about how this applies to their life today because God's desire for freedom for you, God's desire for, for deliverance from under oppression and under bondage has never changed. It's not just Egyptians. God doesn't have anything against the Egyptians or the Egyptian people. He doesn't have anything uh, against them particularly. He just doesn't like slavery. He doesn't like people being oppressed and bound in slavery. And so God has an offer of salvation, and that salvation is, I will bring you out. And obviously, many of us today have never actually been physically enslaved. Um, we've never actually had physical chains on us and been enslaved to somebody else. But many of us are, are, are a type of slave. We do know what slavery is like, because even the Webster's de definition of slavery is, is to be under a dominating influence, to be under a dominating influence or an outside force that dominates you. Now, you don't have to have physical chains on your wrist to understand what that's like. You don't have to, you don't have to be in Egypt and be making uh, bricks for, for the Egyptians to understand what that's like. But just to understand what it's like for these people. When God said, I will bring you out, he was talking to a group of people that for 400 years, they had been in slavery. These guys were born as slaves. Their parents were born as slaves. Their grandparents were, for generations after generation, they have been so accustomed to being slaves, to being stuck in Egypt. And not only, not only, not only were they stuck in Egypt, but Exodus 1 verse 13 talks about uh, the way that they, they, they were enslaved, that they were ruthlessly, uh, that the Egyptians ruthlessly made the people of Israel to work as slaves. And in Exodus 1, 4, the next verse says they made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar. They made them make their own bricks with all kinds of work in the fields. In their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. And this is, this is what slavery is. This is what it means to be stuck in slavery. And so I want to talk to you about that for, for just a minute. But first, I'd like to share a story that I share quite frequently about being stuck. Um, has anybody ever been stuck somewhere that they, that they don't want to be? They've just been trapped. Anybody ever been, got your head stuck in a revolving door or something? Some crazy stories? No, really? <laughs> for real? <laughs> okay. See me after church. We'll uh, have to we'll pray over you. Um, 
there, there was there was a time um, in, in in our life, me and Ro, um, we got married and we both quit our jobs um, in order to be married. Our jobs were both very stressful, and we said we want to do something else. And so we had quit our jobs and uh, we drove. We were driving around the country trying to figure out where God wanted us to live and to work. We finally landed in Tennessee, and Tennessee um, is beautiful. I don't know if you've ever been to Franklin, Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee area. It's a beautiful country. It's 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 God's country, as the Tennesseans would say. Um, and so you know, all of your exes who aren't in Texas end up there. I mean, it's a good place. You know what I'm saying? So like it's, 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 it's a great, the weather's great, you get a little bit of snow, you get a little bit of warm. Well, that summer actually was the hottest summer on Central Tennessee record ever. Uh, it was like multiple days, over 100. And, and, and in order to make a living, um, we, we moved on to a horse farm because my wife does a lot of stuff with horses. She trains horses, she gives riding lessons. Who are, you gave riding lessons to like Winona Judd and... Uh, What's her? Cheryl Crow came out. She was giving Cheryl Crow riding lessons. And yeah, yeah, we were hobnobbing with all the rich, important people. I mean, you know, we're taking care of the horses, but, you know. Uh, but it was, it was great. And so we had about 20 horses out there, 19 horse stalls. And my job, I, I don't know anything about horses. I don't even ride the things. I just would help her clean out the stalls. So you have these nasty stalls um, that, that overnight, like, I don't, I don't know what horses do, but they don't go to the bathroom at all during the day. <laughs> they wait until they get into their saw. And so, 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 so you have thick, thick, um, oh, what is, it? is it saw? It's like sawdust. Yeah, it's like really thick, thick sawdust. It's a bed of sawdust. And then you have this giant 1,200-pound horse in there all night long. So as you can imagine, it smells really good in the morning. You come in the morning, you let the horses out. We had a little four-wheeler and a, and a, a, a cart on the back of the four-wheeler. Uh, and, so, and so I would go in with this little pick fork thingy. It's like the kind the devil has. And, and, and then you go in there. <laughs> see, I'm painting this story. And so you see, you have to go in there and you have to search for little, little brown nuggets is what you have to do. And they're not always so little and they're not always so hard. A lot of times they're fresh. And so you have to kind of scoop it up and it smells great. And so you bring it over and you, you toss it onto the back of the little trailer thingy. And uh, then, then once, once you get all the brown nuggets, then you have to go around for, for little um, spots. And these, these, these spots in the, in the sawdust, they, they, they're, 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 they're kind of deep, and it makes the sawdust really clumpy. If you don't know what it is, then good. And so I, I, you scrape away the sawdust, and you have to chip it out, and you have to scoop it up and break it all up. And a lot of times the little things are flicking and everything. And so you know, you're out there in the heat uh, working, mucking out the stalls. And so we would, we would dump that onto the back of the, the same thing. And then it was always my job to drive the trailer out into the field, right? So I drive it out in the field, and there's a little conveyor belt on the bottom of the trailer, and there's some little flipper things on the back. And so I flip a, a lever, and the conveyor belt starts rolling, and the flippers start flipping. And then my job is to drive, or I drive out in the field, and it moves all of the, the little gold nuggets and, and all of the, the hardened sawdust uh, toward the back and the flippers kind of fan it out like on either side, you know, and so it's, 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 it's good for the grass, uh, the, you know, the manure helps the grass grow, which is really kind of weird. I always thought it was weird. It's like, it's like we spread all this stuff out in the grass. It makes the grass grow. The horses eat it, take it back into the box, deposit it for me to go get it out of the box, put it back in the tray, spread it out on the field. This is a never-ending cycle. Like, why don't we just let these horses live out here in the grass? Because then they would eat it, deposit it right there in the grass. We wouldn't have to worry about it. 
But I don't know, this Cheryl Crow's got to have her horse guy spreading it up. And so I'm out there, you know, and it's, it's, it's hot, and I'm out there driving around. And so one day, like, the lever didn't work quite right. I don't know what the deal was, but everything sped up. So, like, I clicked it into gear, and it made the, 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 the fan thingies spin faster. It made the conveyor belt move faster. And so instead of fanning it out to the side, it began throwing it forward over my head, right? I got my tank top on. I'm feeling these, these, <laughs> it wasn't purple rain. Let me just tell you that. It was a different color of rain and just, just falling all over my shoulder and my back. I'm like, what the heck? And so I just stopped it, turned it off, looked up to heaven and said, God, what did I ever do to deserve this? And so that would, that sets up my question. Have you ever been stuck somewhere? <laughs> you don't want to be and God doesn't answer you and you got to go take a shower and figure out how to fix the the nugget spreader and it's a fun time <laughs> and well it's kind of a funny story for us I mean it wasn't funny I was kind of ticked off honestly I was I hated that job I hated living there we lived in a little shack it was awful if you want to hear more about my woe and sorrow come talk to me after service I will I will fill you up with all of how awful my life has been but meanwhile I got to talk about Jesus so meanwhile the the, the, the truth is that this does set up uh, sort of, you know, a, a familiar scenario for many of us. We, we, we get ourselves into scenarios for whatever reason. Uh, we get into places where we are stuck, where we don't want to be, where we feel like we're spinning our wheels, where we feel like maybe things aren't working quite right, where we feel like we're, we're, we're wasting away, we're wasting our time, we're, we're wasting our energy, wasting our effort. I mean, these, these slaves that were stuck in Egypt, they were working for somebody else. All of their work, I mean, they were, they, were, they were putting in long hours. They were slaving away. And at the end of the day, they were personally no richer than they were at the beginning of the day. That's what it means to be in slavery, that you work and you work for the benefit of somebody else. And so I know slavery is a, a huge concept, but I believe that there is a type of slavery that is not so physical. There is a spiritual type of slavery that many of us live under. That we, that we live and we work and we try and we do our best and it seems like we never really get anywhere. It seems like we never really move forward. In fact, it seems like oftentimes we're, we're doing someone else's bidding. Have you ever wondered why it's so common for you and for me to hurt the ones we love the most? Why would we want to hurt the ones we love the most? We don't want to hurt the ones we love the most. But there is somebody who does want us to hurt the ones that we love the most. It seems like sometimes we're working for him. In our, in our efforts, in, our, in, our, in, in all, of our, all of our time, and all of our energy is not moving us any closer, is not moving us any further along the path of life, is not bringing us any closer to God. Instead, we're, we're, we're walking in circles in Egypt under slavery. And this is, this is the kind of people that God's talking to. God's talking to folks that they grew up as slaves. Their fathers and grandfathers were slaves. This is simply the way life is. And so for them... Their slavery had almost become normal. And I, think, and I think it's very true for us. This is the way that we have grown up. This is the way that, that our family operated. This is the way that things have been passed down to us. This is always the way it's gone. This is always the way I've been. This is always what I've done. This is always my reaction. This is always my knee-jerk reaction. We, we, we get so stuck that we don't even realize 
that we're stuck. We don't realize it's weird. We don't realize it's crazy until God comes and he speaks a word to his people. And he says, I will bring you out from under the yoke, under the yoke of the Egyptians. I'll bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I believe, I believe today could be a day that you come out from under the yoke. Now, the yoke those of you that haven't lived on a farm with Cheryl Crow, uh, you, 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 don't, you, don't, you probably don't know this, but a yoke is a, it's a, it's a farming tool. It's something that goes on the neck of an ox and it connects another ox. And so it's not that God's saying that your ox is it's just the way he's talking about it. It connects you to somebody else. So, so it's almost like, babe, how about you come on up here and just kind of, we're, we're yoked together because we're married. That's what scripture talks about the yoke. And so it's almost like, for us, it would be like an arm in arm kind of relationship. This, this is what God's saying. God's saying, I'm going to take you out from under the, the, the arm-in-arm connection. Go ahead and pull that tight. Pull it, pull it tight. I mean, this, is a, this is a yoke. I can't, I can't just, like, walk away if I want to, you know. I can't just... Right? Okay. And you can't walk away if you want to, even if your high heels make you taller than me. It doesn't matter. And so a yoke... A yoke connects you with somebody. So whenever you're walking with somebody it, with the with yoke, let's go ahead and see. see, see it's, it's, it's a little bit difficult. Whenever you're walking with somebody and you're yoked to them, like you have to be walking at the exact same speed. Because if I speed up and, and, or if I slow down, then it kind of jerks her around a little bit. I don't know if you noticed that. But, but, but the speed the speed's important because is everything going to stay? Okay, good. The, speed, the speed's important because, because we're yoked together. And this is what God's saying. God's saying, like, you're, you're, the speed of your life, the speed of my people's life is going to be different than the speed of the Egyptians. And even the height. So if she stays down there and I try to go a little bit higher, it's not going to work unless she comes on up higher with me. And so, and even then, and when, when, when you're yoked and you keep going to different heights, it makes it difficult. It makes it tricky because, because, because you're, because you're connected. So it's good. It's good if you're connected with somebody, but there's some, there's some stuff. And I'm just, I'm believing that there are some things that God wants to break off of your life. There's some things, there's some, maybe, maybe it's not a person. Maybe it's a process. Maybe, maybe there's some thought processes in your life that God wants to break because every time you get into that situation, you do the exact same thing, but God's wanting you to do something a little different and you, you try to do something different, but it's hard because every time... <laughs> Every time you try to do something different, it seems like the old is pulling you down until it gets back up with you. You, you can just stay right there if you like. <laughs> it seems like the old is pulling you back, is holding you back, your old way of thinking. There's some patterns of behavior. I believe God wants to break the yoke off of the patterns of your behavior. There's, a, there's certain addictions that you're just used to. It's your fallback plan. But it's holding you back from the speed that God wants you to move at. It's keeping you stuck. And so whenever God calls you to go this way and your addictions are going that way, you're, you're stuck. You're trying to move. You can't, you, can't, you, can't, you can't follow God. Even though you want to, you can't do this. And uh, the Apostle Paul has a great analogy for this. He talks about this in Romans. So if we can put the slide up for Romans, I think it's chapter 7, verse 24. Uh, uh, Paul talks about this, this, this is the very scenario. He says, he's talking about before this, he says, the stuff I want to do, I don't do. The stuff I don't want to do, I do. And then he comes to this conclusion. He says, a wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, what he's talking about there, uh, scholars aren't quite sure. They think, one, he may be talking about his physical body, that it's holding him back. But the other, the other uh, proposition is that he's talking about uh, sort of an ancient Roman um, 
uh, thing is really a torture thing that uh, is written about, I think, one time. Uh, we know that somebody did this. But uh, where they would tie their victims uh, to a dead person. So you're a living person, you're a healthy person, and they tie you to a dead person. So they yoke you, they connect you uh, hand in hand. We won't do that. Legs and legs, face to face. Yeah, not here. Um, and, uh, well, you know, they, they, they tie you up to this dead person. And they make you live with the dead person. As the dead person starts decomposing, as the worms start eating, as, as death starts setting in, what happens is the disease from the dead person ends up passing over to the live person. And, and, and some people think that's what Paul's talking about when he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? He says, it's almost like I have a dead person. I'm, it's almost like I'm dragging dead weight. Like I got a dead person tied to me. I have an old me tied to me. I want to follow God. I want to I, I change my life. I want to change my patterns. I want to change my, my, my processes. But I have some of this weight. And every time I do, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't fit. There's something pulling me back. And so he says, who will, who will deliver me? And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. In other words, I want to do what is right. But with my flesh, with my body, I end up being stuck. I serve the law of sin. I serve this old, dead life the way I used to be. And sometimes it is actually a person. Sometimes it is the people that you've chosen to yoke yourself up with. Sometimes they like the addicted you better than the the sober you sometimes sometimes because you're because you're more fun for them because you make them feel more normal sometimes they try to hold you back because if you get healthy then that means it's going to mess up the way they communicate with you if you stop letting them gossip to you that means they're going to feel guilty when they start trying to gossip to you if you start changing then that means that they're going to have to lose their the friend that they had or they're going to have to change and so there are some some yokes that need to be broken even from relationships from unhealthy people that are holding you back from getting free. There are, there are these yokes. I believe today is a perfect day to break the yoke. What better day for God to miraculously break the yoke of bondage that you have with whether it's an addiction or whether it's a person or a thought process or a pattern in your life. What better day for God to break that yoke? And you say, well, yeah, well, that's been in existence for a long time. That, 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 that old yoke's been around for a, for a while. See, it's been, it's, been, it's been a long pattern of behavior in my life. I mean, ever since I can remember, it was even in my parents' life. It goes way, 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 way back. But the truth is that the power of God is powerful enough to defeat whatever enemy you are facing. And I know it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe from a, from a slavery mindset. It's hard to believe from a yoke mindset. It's hard to believe when you've tried several times. And it just doesn't seem to work. It's, it's, really, it's really difficult for you to grasp that. And I, and, I, and I love how the Bible gives us this, this little illustration. In the next verse, in Exodus uh, chapter 6, uh, you, have, you have the promises of God. Thanks, babe. Yeah, thanks. I don't want to wear out your arm because my muscles are just, you know, bulging. Uh, but... but Exodus 6, 5, Moreover, I heard the groaning of the Israelites and the Egyptians are a slave, and I remember their covenant. These are the promises. God gives amazing promises to Moses. He says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out. doesn't matter what you are under. God says, I will bring you out. Whatever you are stuck in, I will bring you out. However long you've been there, I, I will bring you out. You don't have to get counseling to get out. What can happen in what, what would take 30 years of therapy, God can do in 30 seconds. 
I was talking to, talk, talking to one person just, just this past week. They, they said it's almost like somebody flipped the light switch in, in my marriage. And we were like this, but now all of a sudden we're like this. It's like all of a sudden we now see what we're doing to each other. All of a sudden we now see what's going on. And it's just so simple. It's, but it was just so happened so quickly. That's the power of God. That's what God does. That, that, that's, not, that's not behavioral correction. That's not, that, that's not trying to change your habits and, and, learn, and learn how to do better next time. And, and you know, go to, you know, just, just pick, pick yourself up by a bootstrap. No, this is something that God can do in his miraculous power. He says, I will bring you out. You're not going to bring yourself out. I'm going to bring you out from under that yoke that you are connected to. I will free you from being slaves to them. I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm with mighty acts of judgment. He goes on to say, I'll take you as, as my own people, uh, and I will be your God. Then you'll know that I am the Lord God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And so then in verse, I think it's verse 9, if we go down to verse 9, Exodus 6, verse 9, uh, Moses is excited about this. And so Moses goes to the people. Just two verses later, Moses goes to the people, and he spoke thus to the people of Israel. He, he told them, look, God's going to bring us out. Isn't that amazing? And look at him. But they did not listen to Moses. That word listen doesn't mean that they didn't hear what he said. They just didn't believe what he said. They didn't have faith in the message. They didn't listen to Moses. Why? Because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. The, the original word for broken spirit means because they had been cut down so many times. And so I understand that as I talk about this, this wonderful cup and people's marriages getting connected and, and God doing these wonderful things, bringing you out of bondage, that you might think that sounds great. But see, Pastor Harry, you don't understand. I've been cut down so many times. You have PTYD post-traumatic yoke disorder. I'm not a doctor, but I'm diagnosing you right now. It's, it's like, it's like after, after trying so many times and getting cut down so many times, you just, you, you just know that it's coming. If, if, if I even begin to believe in this, if I even begin to get my hopes up, you know, I can't get my hopes up because I know, I know, I, I know that I will get cut down. Sometimes we've been cut down by our own failures. Sometimes we've been cut down by our own family. Sometimes we've been cut down by people in the church. Sometimes we've been cut down by pastors. Sometimes we start trying and then, and then, and then judgmental Christians come in and they, 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 they cut us down. This is Austin, so all of you are pretty much here from somewhere else that was a lot more religious, and that's why you moved here. So I get it. I understand. But, but, but look, God is not, that's not God. That's religion. That's people who have hang-ups and problems just like you and me, and they didn't know what to do with somebody who was, who was trying, and so they cut you down. And the slavery that you're under. Moses goes to the people and says, all right, guys, here it is, freedom! And they go, yeah, right. That's not going to happen, Moses. You've been on the desert too long. You've been uh, herding those goats and sheep and stuff too long. It's just, it's just not going to work. And so, and so in the next verse, uh, I think it's the next verse, I think it's verse, verse 10, verse 10 and 11, Moses goes back to the Lord and says, Lord, they didn't listen to me. I love how God is not, he's not shocked. He's not like, what in the name of me? 
they didn't like, like, he's not like, what are you, do- what are we going to do, Moses? Wait a minute, that was my plan. I was going to, I was going to tell you what I was going to do, give you these amazing promises. You were going to tell them they were going to get fired up and get all faith, and then we were going to do it. No, God says, all right, now go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go. <laughs> It's almost like, and this, and I, I love that the Bible included these two little verses about how Moses told the people and the people didn't believe him and God didn't care. I love that because, because, because I, I always thought, I always thought that God wasn't going to do anything if I didn't, if I didn't have a lot of faith. I always thought that, that God was sort of waiting on me to have faith before he would do something. But this, this scenario tells me that when God makes a promise, that when God decides to deliver you and to bring you out, that he's not even necessarily relying on your ability to believe that he's able to do what he said he would do. I love that because, because what that means is that God, God can work with doubt. God can work with skepticism. God can work with raised eyebrows and what are you talking about? That's not going to work for me. I've tried that. I've been cut down. I'm sorry. God's not looking for fake faith in people to, you know, just say the right things and just and just believe enough and just try enough and just have enough trust and have enough perseverance. God, these these people, these people didn't even believe what he said. They little nothing. They looked at him and said, man, that's not going to happen. And God said, perfect, dude, go talk to Pharaoh now. Why? Because God is not dependent on your faith. God is not dependent on your ability to believe him for great and new and mighty miracles. God's not even going to wait on you to accept him before he is going to deal with your enemies. And this is what he does. He goes from talking to his people to dealing with his people's enemies. And this is exactly what he's done for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we didn't believe in him, while we were rejecting him, he dealt with our enemies. He spoke to our to our oppressors and he destroyed what was destroying us and that is why we celebrate easter because we didn't even have the faith at one point all of us it didn't even have the faith at one point to believe that he was able to do what he said he was able to do and so if you're here today and you're saying man i don't even know if i can be free i don't think i don't think this whole thing's going to work perfect you're in just a perfect situation i think honesty is better sometimes than fake faith i think god values honesty god values somebody just being real with him saying look this is what i think you can do this is how i see the situation god will take that he'll accept that and then he will blow your mind <laughs> he, he loves to shock people he loves to prove you wrong he's he's like he's like he's he's he's, he's like a master ma- ma- magician you know he just loves you you just falling into that trap and then and then the turn and you didn't even see it coming and a light switch gets turned on in your marriage and freedom happens over your addiction and suddenly he's doing something in your life that you're like i didn't even know that this was possible that's why he's so great that's why he's so awesome because he continues surprises and he continuously shows up and shows off above and beyond what you can even ask or think you think your prayers are big that's cute he's a lot bigger than the person with the most faith in this room it doesn't matter how long you've been serving him how long you've been walking with him or how short you've been walking with him your faith is not a barometer for his ability he's going to do what he's going to do he's going to bring you out whether you're able to believe in it or not his, his power extends beyond your faith. Your faith doesn't even touch 
faith, what, what, what faith does is faith touches the hem of his garment. Remember, you remember the lady in the New Testament, she had an issue of blood. She, her, she, she had a wound of some sort that was continually bleeding. And, and she, she pressed through the crowd, and it's this famous scripture that everybody's preached on. She presses through the crowd, and she's apparently so weak from her condition that she really can't, you know, tap him on the shoulder. And plus, she wasn't even supposed to be there. And so she, she, can't, she, she can't approach him and say, would you please pray for me? Instead, all she can do is, is reach the hem of his garment, which is basically just the, the edge of his, of his pants. It's the bottom part of his pants. She says, if I can touch... The hem of his garment. Sometimes that's how far we've been cut down. This is, this is, this is a reach for us. But did you know that, that even if the highest part you can reach is the lowest part of him, there's still enough power in the lowest part of him. <laughs> there's, there's still enough power in the lowest part of him to meet your need. You don't have to have great faith. You don't have to take all the promises and say, yeah, I believe this is totally going to work for my life. You can, you can literally look at it and say, man, I don't think that's going to work. And God is still going to go around your back and deal with your enemies in order to engage you in his promises. Sometimes he tells and sometimes he shows. <laughs> in, this, in this instance, he's doing the show and tell deal. He tells them about it. They don't believe him, and so he goes to, the, to their enemy, and he begins dealing with their enemy. And the miracles that he works in Egypt, I mean, the, the ten plagues uh, that, that he works in Egypt are miraculous. They're amazing. And through that, his people begin to see their deliverance. They don't, they, they, they don't ever get to a place where they accept it and believe in it beforehand. They see the power that's in front of them, and that stirs up faith inside of them. So sometimes you just have to stick around long enough to see the power that God has and what God's about to do in your life. And so how did, how did, how did we get into bondage? I would like to look at a scripture real quick, John 10.10, 10, as a, a popular scripture among Christians. And I believe that it really does uh, encapsulate what, what I'm talking about here. Jesus is talking in John 10, and he says uh, 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 to the people, he says, he says, the thief comes to steal, uh, to kill, and to destroy. You don't have that? Okay. Well, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Uh, he says, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And that's what we're talking. We're talking about the abundant life that God has for us. But when he says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, who is the thief? Well, most people say, oh, that's the devil. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus simply says the thief. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. I believe it could be allegorical for the devil, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the thief. So to really understand the context of the passage, do you have any of the, any, any of the John 10 passages? None of that? Okay. So to really understand the rest of, the, of that John 10 passage, you have to look at John 10, uh, the few verses before that. So John 10, 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. John, John 10, 7 through 9 says, uh, therefore Jesus said to them, very truly, I am the gate for the sheep. All who, come, who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. And then he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So he's talking about a gate and sheep and a pen is really what he's talking about. To understand this, you have to understand that back in those days, shepherding was, was big business. 
And so you would, you would, you would, you would take a flock of sheep or, and or goats, and you would go out miles into the countryside where the grass was, and they would eat. Let them walk around and eat. Eat the grass. Now, now it's kind of dumb for a shepherd then to go miles and miles back into the city to sleep and then miles back out the next day. And so even in, in, in the Christmas story, we find shepherds in their fields watching their flocks by night because they got to they, they, they camp out there with them. So sometimes for multiple weeks, they would be out in the field. Well, this can be somewhat stressful because if you're a shepherd, you want to sleep at night. And you got all these sheep wandering around, and you have wolves occasionally, and you don't want the sheep to wander off. And so some young entrepreneur came up with a business idea and said, I'm going to go out to the field where the sheep are and build these big pens and have one door, have these walls, and then charge shepherds. It's basically like a parking garage for the sheep. Right? And so, so I, I, I charge shepherds uh, to park their sheep in here overnight. And then I will work the night shift. I'll guard the door, make sure nobody steals the sheep. And then in the morning, shepherds come pick up their sheep. And so that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door of that pen, right? And anyone who comes in and out. But then he says, I am the good shepherd. And he says, the thief comes to steal the sheep, to kill the sheep, and then to eat the sheep. But I have come that they may have life. What's he talking about? He's talking about the dangers, well, of of dropping your sheep off in this parking garage. Um, unlike your vehicles, sheep don't have license plate numbers. Uh, sheep don't have serial numbers. They don't have barcodes to scan. So if, say, you have five shepherds who drop off, I don't know, maybe they have a pasture of 20 sheep each. You have five shepherds and you've got 100 sheep in this pen. The first shepherd comes in the morning. How do you tell whose is whose? Like, you can't just let them go in there and, oh, that one's mine, that one's, I think I had 100 sheep last night. Okay, everybody with me. You, know, you, you, you can't do that. And so, and so the guard uh, would typically tell, uh, tell, tell the shepherds that would come to call out the name of their sheep, to call them out, for the sheep to hear their voice. And whatever sheep came out, that's yours. And so the thief, the thief is the shepherd who comes and calls out to sheep that are not his, trying to get them to respond to him, to come to him. And his purpose is dinner. His purpose is to eat them. But Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And that's why he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock if any man hears my voice. Because Jesus is the shepherd that stands there and calls out to us. But he said, all those who have come before me, they are thieves. In other words, the, 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 the shepherd who wants to get some extra sheep, he'll get up extra early, and he'll be the first shepherd there. And then all hundred sheep will be there, and he'll start calling out sheep and, 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 and trying, trying to coax them to come. And, and, and the, the difference between the, the thief and the real shepherd is the thief doesn't really know the name of the sheep. Instead, he just sees them from their outside. He calls them from their outside. He sees what they are on the outside. And, you know, if they got spots, maybe, hey, spotty, does that work? Nope, that doesn't work. If, if they got a limp, hey, limpy, you know, dopey, I don't know, run through the whole gamut. You know, he's, he's trying, to, trying to get them to come to him. And this is how I believe many of us have fallen into bondage. We didn't intend to go into bondage. We weren't thinking that this, yeah, yeah, let's, let's give ourselves over to sin. Let's get stuck in, in these habits, in these, in these painful cycles. Let's, 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 we, that was not our plan. <laughs> Is that the Lord? Lord, Lord, I stand at the door and knock. Uh, that was not our plan. Our plan was never to go there. 
how do we get there? Well, we just listened to the wrong voices. We just responded to the wrong voices. We responded to the voices that spoke to us from what they saw on the outside. We responded to the voice of shame. We responded to the voice of fear. We responded to the voice of anxiety. We responded to the voice of need. And so whoever needs us, that's where we go because we need to be needed. We responded to the voice of greed. We responded to the voice of, of more, more in my life, more on my schedule, more in my house, more on my property, a bigger house. I need more. I need more. And so whatever is offering us more, that's what we're responding to. We responded to the voice of lust. We responded to the voice of addiction. We responded to the voice of rebellion. We responded to that voice because we wanted to get out of the pen. Because nobody likes being in the pen. We want to go out to green grasture. We want a uh, green pasture. We want to go out to the green grass. We want, we, 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 we want to go live our life and want it to be awesome and to be exciting. And so this voice came and spoke to us and it sounded like it was the real deal. It's not that we set out to be enslaved. It's not that we set out to be bad people. We just listened to the wrong voices. And we responded to those voices. We didn't wait for the voice of our shepherd, the one who spoke to us about who we really are. We listened to the voice of shame that merely spoke about what we had done. And what we had done, the voice of shame told us that that's who we really were, that you are, that, that if you do something wrong, you are something wrong. We didn't listen to the voice of our shepherd. We listened to the voice of shame. We listened to the voice of fear. And the voice of fear is always telling us what if, and what if this, and what if that happens, and what if that happens, and how are you going to handle that, and how are you going to be able to respond to that, and what if this person gets elected, and then, oh, this person gets elected, and then what's going to happen there? And the voice of fear is constantly drawing us, drawing us into a place that we believe is green pasture, but it's not. We listened to the wrong shepherd. We listened to the wrong voice. And he described us well from the outside, but he did not know who we were. He did not know our identity. But your shepherd does know who you are. And that's why your shepherd says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life. I have come to bring them out of the pen. I have come to bring them out of slavery. I have come to bring them out, out of being lunch for somebody else and constantly serving the desires and the whims and the dreams of somebody else. I have come to, to unlock the dreams that I placed inside of them when they, were, when they were just little kids. And they didn't even realize that that was something that I had put them. I have come to unlock the innocence that was in them from the very beginning. I have come to unlock the destiny that I've put inside of them. And they've been so cut down. They've been so beat down. But the way out is to, is to believe. Romans, uh, do, do, do you have Romans 11? We, we, we read from Romans, or I mean Romans 8, 11. Do you have Romans 8, 11? We read from Romans 7. And it comes, uh, it comes about... 11 more verses, Romans 7, 25, and then Romans chapter 8. And the writer is talking about being tied to this dead life. And then he says that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, and that's what this has to do with Easter, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead can live inside of you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to those dead areas of your life, your mortal bodies, by the same Spirit living inside of you. And so how does he do that? 
He does it by a word we call surrender. Where we lay down our lives, where we stop listening to the voices that are calling us in every other direction. And we simply listen to the voice of our shepherd. And we may not be able to muster up a whole lot of faith, but we are able to surrender. We are able to say, I am going to lay down who I am and see, just simply to see who you could make me to be. I'm going to lay down what my marriage has been just simply to see if I can, if the spirit of God can come inside of me. So you're never going to understand the power of the resurrection until the spirit of God comes inside of you. And so it's simply submitting yourself to the spirit of God and allowing the spirit of God to come inside of you. You might not be able to muster up a whole lot of faith, but the spirit of God can come inside of you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, so he will also bring a resurrection to your life. So that Easter is not something you celebrate. Easter is something you experience. You have your own Easter. You have your own moment where God speaks life into deadness. And it comes to life where God flips a light switch over your life and suddenly things are different and suddenly things are new. And I believe that that can happen in a moment. That's what happened for, for the Israelites. God gives them this promise and then God deals with their enemy. And then God says the night before they're leaving, start packing. Right? Call the U-Haul, go to Walmart, get some egg boxes. You're moving out. Wow, really? Are we? Yes, you're moving out. And that is really as simple as it was. They simply had to start packing and start walking. And there is some things that they had to leave behind. There are some processes. There are some yokes that they had to walk away from. There are some things that they, there's some ways of relating to people that they had to break down and stop. And they, they, there, are, there were some bondage in your life that you're going to need to walk away from. I was talking to my kids this past week, and I, I, always, I always share with them a story about, about my past um, uh, for, for a bedtime story. And so I have a pretty good memory, and I'm a storyteller, so I can make things up if it's off a little bit. But I have a pretty good memory, and so I just asked them to tell me an age. Just, just pick an age, and then I'll, I'll tell you a story from that age. And so uh, Madden was asking me about when I was 18. And I said, well, 18 is really important because 18 was the first time I ever preached like in big church. Um, I, my first sermon, I was 12, I preached in big church, but it was like part of like a kid program. And so some little girl played the piano and I got up there and blobbered about something. And, and uh, that was my first time ever preaching. But when I was 18, I was actually asked, asked to preach in the big church with, with adults. And she said, oh, really? And I said, yeah. And it was the worst sermon I've ever preached in my life. It was terrible. And she said, what did you say? I said, well, no, it wasn't terrible. Like I said bad things. It was just, it was just so incredibly boring. Like I bored myself talking. I was talking thinking, how long have I been talking? Like I bored myself. It was bad. No comments about today's sermon after the church, okay? This is to go ahead and keep your smart aleck stuff to yourself. I bored myself. It was, it was awful. And she said, well, well, well what did you talk about? So, well, I talked about a vision that I had had. Uh, when I was 17, I had this vision. We were in prayer one night, and um, I had my face down in the pew. We had those old wooden pews in my church, and um, uh, I, I had this spiritual vision. And the vision was that we were all sitting in the church, all sitting in our pews, kind of like you all, just nice, look, looking great. Only we weren't people. We were jars of clay. 
there's little jars, like at each, at each spot, kind of where people should be. There were little jars, different shapes, and they're all kind of, you know, weird-looking jars, but they're all these, these clay jars. And Jesus came in. Jesus came into the church, and I knew that because he had his flowing robe with his blue thing, and, you know, his hair was parted in the middle. But anyway, I knew it was Jesus, and he came in. I don't really think Jesus looks like that, but in my vision, that's how it worked. And so Jesus came in, and he, and he walked on down to the front, uh, just right, right there. He raised his fist, and he just smashed the first jar, just push, like it was loud. Like we had wood floor and everything, and the echo was just, bam, he smashed the jar. And man's like, oh. And I said, yeah, well, actually, that's, that wasn't a bad thing. Like in my vision, I knew it was a good thing. Because sometimes... Sometimes that is what, 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 what God wants to do with your life. <laughs> Harry, what did you preach on in Easter? Oh, just how God wants to smash everybody. That's what I preached on. Because he just smashed it. He just busted it into a bazillion pieces. Because with clay, that's kind of how it works. Like, you can't just augment a jar. You can't just, like, a, make a little adjustment. It's not like Legos, like you take some things out and put them. Clay is hard, so if you want to change the shape of it, you have to break it down back to its original kind of powder, add water, and just start all over again. And I believe that's what God wants to do for your life. He doesn't just want a new paint job. He doesn't just want a couple new habits in your life that things get a little bit easier. He wants to completely break down your way of relating to yourself and to others and to the world, your way of thinking about yourself, your way of thinking about your future. He wants to utterly smash it, destroy it into a bunch of little pieces so that he can build it back up to the shape that you were meant to be. And that's what I told Micah, because I told Micah the same story. And Micah's my five-year-old. He's not quite saved yet, so keep praying for him. Um, no, he's, he's five, so he's got a lot of, you know, craziness. And, um, you know, I, we, he, he had just that night, he had just, we had, he had just done something. And so, and so I was telling him about the shattering of the jar, and he said, why do you do that? I, I said, well, because all of us, Micah, like you and me, we're all born, like, in the wrong shape. Like we're all a little bit messed up. <laughs> and God's okay with that. A lot of it is the, the home that we come from, but our home was also, they came from messed up homes, which came from messed up homes. None of us come from any fully functional family. All of us, there's, there's stuff in, in, in our lives that's just out of shape, out of whack. And God wants to break that so that he can rebuild that. And then Jesus smashed that jar. He came over to the next one, smashed it. He came to the next one, and he raised his fist, but he got real sad, and he put his fist down. And man said, what, what's that all about? And I said, well, he turned to me, and he said, that one didn't want to be broken. That's the only thing that is going to keep you stuck in Egypt, is your unwillingness to allow the work of God to change you. You don't want to be broken. I don't, I, I, I've worked really hard to get this half, in a halfway functional form. I'll just leave it. And that's the only thing that will stop the work of God in your life. He's already done everything that is necessary. He's already paid the price. He's died on the cross. He's risen from the grave. He's defeated the enemy, yours and mine. But we do need to allow him to break us and to shape us. And so I would just like to take two minutes right here. If we would close our eyes for a moment and bow our heads. 
we always like to do this at City Chapel, and that is to give you a chance to respond uh, in a in a personal way. We're not going to make you stand. We're not going to, you know, make everybody stare at you or anything. But I do believe that it's good to come to a place of decision, to come to a point of decision. And that would be my question to you today. Have you allowed Jesus to break you? Have you allowed him to remake you? Or is there some part of you that is still far from God? Maybe you we're close to God at one time. Maybe you, you prayed a prayer. It's not about a magic prayer. It's not about joining a church. I'm not going to try to get you to sign up for City Chapel. That's not what it's about. It's about coming out of slavery. And really, it's just a simple question. Am I free? Am I under any dominating influences? And if I am, if I'm under a dominating influence, then I need what Jesus is offering. I need this promise to come out that he would bring me out. I've tried on my own. I can't do it. And so if you would like to make that, that decision today, I would like you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm, I'm, I want to pray a prayer. I just want to pray a prayer with you. And if you want